Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, Happy New Year! This is my first episode of 2023, took a couple of weeks off over the break, Uh, sorry about that, but I am back and I'm back with a great episode uh, on discernment counseling versus couples therapy and what that's all about. Um, Before we get into my interview with Dr. Tom Murray, I just wanted to let you guys know a couple of quick things. First of all, we have a retreat coming. It is in the planning stages. Registration will be opening very shortly. Um, We are going to Sedona in uh, April, April 27th through 30th. So uh, mark your calendars. Start getting your ducks in a row. If you want to be um, involved and included in this very intimate, it's only capping it at 12 women. So I have a feeling it'll, it'll sell out quickly, but information will be sent to your uh, inboxes shortly. If you're not on my email list, you should probably get there. Uh, if you go to my website, kateanthony.com, uh, sign up for anything, you'll get on my email list. Or just, you know, keep your ears peeled here. There will be information on my website as we get that up um, shortly. And so that's exciting. Um, I also want to let you know that uh, Grit and Grace is still going and still accepting. We have a few spots that uh, we have open. And if you want to have a consult with me, uh, go to my website, kateanthony.com. Click on the tab that says Grit and Grace. Scroll down. This program, I got to tell you, I mean, I think I've told you this so many times, how how great it is and how wonderful the women are. Um, but also, if you don't want to work in community, that's okay. You can, I'm still, I'm also open for um, a few private coaching clients as well. So I'm here for you, y'all. That's what I'm saying. I'm here for you. And so now, Dr. Tom. Dr. Tom Murray, he's an author, international trainer, educator, and couples and sex therapist supervisor. He is a widely sought-after expert in sexuality and intimate relationships. For 20-plus years, Dr. Tom has worked with everyday folks to embrace their weirdness, shed labels and shame, lean into anxiety, and build better and stronger relationships. He is authored a new book called Making Nice with Naughty, an intimate guide for the rule-following, organized, perfectionist, practical, and color-within-the-line types, which we will talk about uh, at the end of the episode. Um, But really, this is about, this conversation is about the difference between discernment, counseling, and couples therapy, um, and really the specific reason that a lot of couples therapy tends not to work and how discernment counseling might actually be a better option for you. Uh, This is a wonderful conversation, so I hope you get as much out of it as I did. I learned so much. Um, So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Tom Murray. 
Dr. Tom, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us about uh, all things discernment counseling. Let's start off with just what is discernment counseling? So there was a recognition among a lot of uh, of therapists that count, uh, couples counseling is uh, not very successful. <laughs> Right, it's the under, yeah, it's the it's the underbelly secret, right, of, right. of the field is that couples counseling is not very successful if success is being defined as an intact marriage. Mm-hmm. The outcome being that the couple stays together, and so the question began to emerge: Well, why is that? Why? What differentiates the couples where it is successful from the from those who are for whom? Couples therapy is not successful. And, and what the literature was, was pointing toward is that there are there's a significant portion of the couples that come into couples therapy in which one partner is already leaning out mm-hmm. or is what's called divorce ambivalent or divorce uncertain. And so when we take those couples out of the... Uh, uh, calculus of of whether couples counseling is effective, we take those couples out, we find that couples counseling is actually quite effective when both partners are leaning in. In in my practice, and I'm I'm almost exclusively a sex therapist and couples therapist, so that's really what I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, It ensures that when a couple contacts me and I'm able to assess whether they are all in or whether they're a mixed agenda couple, one partner leaning in, one partner leaning out. Mm -hmm. If I can identify uh, the mixed agenda couple, I'm going to then put them through discernment counseling rather than have them spend unnecessary time and money in couples counseling that's ultimately going to be ineffective for them. So it's a, a, a means to help them save time and money. If we can get you into discernment counseling, and get and and help you get clear about uh, which path to take. Which I can talk about those the the three paths uh, later. Well, then once they make a decision, now things start to to roll along more quickly and more efficiently. When you say make a decision uh, about which of the three paths, or yes. just to okay, how does discernment counseling differ from uh, couples therapy? You know, I, I think of couples therapy as sort of airing out grievances and, you know, for the most part, right? So much of it ends up being, I'm going to tell my grievances and 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 try and get the therapist on <laughs> and be, to be like, you're right. And then the other person is like, no, 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 but you're my side, right? And that's not what it is anyway. <laughs> right. right. That's right. So that's a, a great synopsis. Couples therapy is really about helping the couple improve their marriage. Yes. Discernment counseling is about helping the couple to decide whether they want to improve their marriage. Gotcha. And so right? if if they take that tack, then they move in, do they move into, does it then shift back into couples? That's therapy? right. I so that, okay. the, that's one of the paths. So right. the three paths are, uh, are we going to maintain the status quo? Are we going to pursue separation and divorce? Or are we going to do an all-in six-month uh, of couples therapy where we're going to own our own shit, 
We're not going to blame the other person. We're really going to look at our own contributions to the problems in our marriage yeah. and, and actively uh, address those to give the relationship a fighting chance. Like, what is the process of discernment? Is, is there a process? There is a process and it's very prescribed. And that's why I like it. You know, my style, I should say, my style as a therapist is much more of a tell you how it is, no beating around the bush and occasional karate chop to the throat. Uh, (laughs) I love it. I love it. So it's very direct, uh, very clear. Uh, you know, I, I view myself as as a a coach to elite athletes, right? So if I your success is what defines my success, and I want to help you get to where you want to go as quickly as possible, without any unnecessary sessions. So discernment counseling just really fits with my personality. So in that process, a couple say they contact my office and and they may have found uh, on the front of my website at apathtowellness.com. You'll see that there's a box there that says discernment counseling, or I call it couples on the brink. You know, cu- you know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, a lot of people look at discernment counseling, they may not know what that means. They click on that. Uh, they schedule a screening session. So in that screening, I'm asking them a series of questions, including, uh, is there domestic violence? Uh, if there, if there's those kinds of elements, uh, then discernment counseling, as we, we talked about off air, Discernment counseling is not appropriate. Do those screenings, sorry, separately? Yes, yes. Some, no one's going to, people might not answer that together. So those That's, are individual. Those are individual. With heterosexual couples, I'll usually start with the woman first. Women are are more likely to initiate separation and divorce than men are. Right. So generally speaking, women are going to be the leaning out spouse. Mm-hmm. Not always, but... Right. But yeah. uh, generally, and and I will be asking them questions. And if the female partner intimates that there is domestic violence, then I'm not going to ask the same questions of the male partner hmm. because uh, some uh, there is some evidence that if the male partner knows that the therapist knows, then that can put the female partner at risk. That's right. That's right. So I so I don't uh, uh, if that's evident. Yeah, let's assume I go through the screening process and um, they are divorce ambivalent and they uh, meet all of the other uh, criteria. There are no exclusions. Then I suggest to them discernment counseling. And so they'll come in as a couple for their initial two hour session. The session begins with about a 30 minute, 45 minute together Mm. where we have a conversation about uh, why do they think their marriage got to the place that it got to? Mm. Right? Yeah. Uh, what about the children? You know, all of these kinds of, of questions, we have a very prescribed questions we go through. Then uh, the leaning out spouse stays. The leaning in spouse leaves. And they're sitting in the lobby for another 35, 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Where I'm now talking to the leaning out spouse about what in the hell happened? Yeah, right. What's going on? Mm-hmm. What are their chief complaints? Okay. Right? And that's where the intensive work happens. In couples therapy, the intensive work happens when both partners are in the room. Yeah. With discernment counseling, the intensive parts are happening one-on-one with the therapist. Okay. So the therapist, I'm, I'm collecting information about 
uh, I just don't feel like he supported me with the kids or, you know, his work was always a priority, you know, all of these kinds of complaints that we might be accumulating. When that time is up, then the, then the leaning out spouse goes to the waiting room, the leaning in spouse comes in. Oh, by the way, uh, I will assume from the leaning out spouse that path one is already off the table, the maintain, maintaining the status quo. Right. Okay. So I'll affirm for that person, I get it. We can already take off the, 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 the status quo. And so mm-hmm. now we're really just two options, divorce or couples therapy. And that can be a relief. Sure. Right? That can feel validating. Right. Um, that, that there's already movement. Sorry, I'm, I want to interrupt yeah. you for one, th- one second. If the prescription for discernment counseling includes the fact that one, one person's leaning out and one person's leaning in. And if you're taking status quo off the table, why is that a path? Like, why is it, it would seem that when would that be a path? You know, you'd be surprised. The literature suggests that about 14% of couples, of mixed agenda couples that go through the discernment process choose the status quo path. Huh. Right? Wow. Okay. That, you know, for and for a variety of reasons. I have a family member, I'll just say my aunt, who <laughs> one of them, who's older, you know, she's in her 70s, and she reports a very unhappy marriage. Right. But she's not interested in leaving. Yeah. I've starting met- over. I've right, all of that. Like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that has to be just as uh, as, uh, as an acceptable option. Yeah, sure. Right. So sure. So for her, she's going to choose the status quo path. Right. Okay. Uh, while I'm talking about those uh, statistics, I might as well finish it. Forty-seven percent mm-hmm. stick w- uh, choose the uh, all-in six months of therapy, and then about forty-five percent choose the divorce and separation. So could you imagine if that 45% of those ambivalent couples were in couples therapy? Right, right. They've just wasted months and and months. So much money, right? Money, money. yes, yes. And time and energy. And so, okay, so, so that's the first two hour session. You do like an hour or so with both and then- you split them up. That's right. And then, and then I bring them back at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, during during each um, individual one-on-one, the goal during that time is that I'm helping them to get insight mm-hmm. to their contribution to the problem. Uh-huh. Okay. Right? Yep. So that when at the end they come back together, they're able to share what their insights were with each other. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there is not, it's not therapy. So I'm, I'm not looking for vulnerability. I'm not looking because it's business. We're just, um, we're here. I'm not here to try to fix your marriage. Right. I'm trying to uh, help the two of you get clarity about your contributions so that you can kind of have a greater understanding of what happened. Right. How did you actually get here? Mm-hmm. Right. As opposed to he did, she did, right? It's, oh, That's okay, right. this is my shit. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You know, John Gottman, uh, if, if you are familiar with his work, Seven Very. Principles for Making Marriage Work, he talks about that what what men need to hear from their f- female spouses, it's very heteronormative. What men need to hear is that you're not the only problem, mm-hmm. right? Right. That, that the woman can own that 
they contributed to some of the issues in the marriage. That's what a man needs to hear. What a woman needs to hear from the man is, I will, I'm willing to take influence from you. Mm, right. I'm willing to be persuaded by you. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to trust that you have you have the family's interest at heart, and therefore I'm willing to be persuaded by you. Mm, right. And and that can be tough for both parties. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that coming together is somewhat of an opportunity to express it. Mm, okay. Is the discernment, is discernment counseling really just this one session that like at mm. the at the end of it, you're you actually have a path? So at, at the end, so it's up to five sessions. Okay. Okay. I was so like, wow, you're, to, a, you're a magician. <laughs> it's up. Well, it, it does happen after one. I just mm. did one last week. It, it happened. It was two hours. And the couple decided they're going to choose path three. And honestly, <laughs> uh, I was like, uh, I think there's just a little bit more because there is a little bit more that I can talk about later. But sometimes they already commit. Yeah. I want them to be certain that they're going to the couples therapy. Path three is that there is the couples. couples that's therapy, right. Couples right. therapy. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, at the end of every session, they decide at together whether they want an additional and, and then, but so they don't, they're not committing to five up front. They're really just deciding we're committing to this one and whether we're going to come to a next one. Okay. And then, and then at the next one, they decide they got, they made it, they, they have enough that they can make a decision. They can make a decision at that time. Got it. So at the end of every session, you're basically asking, are you, are you certainly in, are you certainly out or are you still not sure? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Huge impediment for a lot of, of couples is acceptance. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So let's just talk about love. I'm I'm going to I'm I'm diverting a little bit from discernment. Right. No, I think it's perfect. Let's talk about love. Love is expressed in acceptance of the other. Uh huh. So so often, what happens in in distressed couples is a partner wants the other to be as as. Uh, for example, the wife wants the husband to be as the wife wants the husband to be. Yes. Right. Versus real love is I want you to be as you want you Mm, to be. Right. Right. Otherwise, it's an agenda. So Mm. when I want you to be as I want you to be, that's an agenda. When I want you to be as you want you to be, that's love. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean, however, you have to stay married to the person. Right. It Because who you want to be may be antithetical to what I want as a partner you know, if you really love me, let me go kind of thing, right? Because if you're going to stay in a relationship trying to change the other person, that's not a healthy relationship. So if you accept that this is who they are, but it it doesn't work for me, as opposed to he's wrong, she's wrong. That's right. They're wrong, right? But this does not align with, which is why when I, when I do um, my discernment work with women, which is all, um, you know, my, should I stay or should I go program? Um, you know, the first thing we don't, we don't touch the other person <laughs> for ages, right? First it's who are you? And mm. and the, sometimes the most illuminating aspect of what we do is the values work. Yes. Because right. When you huge, huge, when you see that, 
I had a client once, uh, this is one of my favorite stories where she was doing the values work and she was like, I, she uncovered, which is, was very obvious. She was working with me. So obviously, right. One of her top values was personal development. Yeah. And she was really committed to it. She listened to all the podcasts. She read all the books. She, you know, was working with me, with a therapist, all the stuff. And she was married to a man who literally said to her, you've known me for 20 years. I haven't changed at all. I'm not interested in change. You don't, you know, take me or leave me. This is who I've always been. This is who I'm always going to be. And I was like, listen, all judgment on that aside, that's a misalignment of values. And that's a core issue, right? Like that's pretty core. I, I think I just hear that in what you're saying, right? That if I love you as you are, it's okay if it doesn't work for me. It's okay. If it, 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 that's true. From now, from a discernment perspective, we would we would say now. Keep in mind, divorce is a permanent decision. Yeah. And so, when I have a, a, a value misalignment, mm-hmm. sometimes this is this is a, a, a I talk about this uh, more in my book. Um, what happens is that. St- for, particularly for men, there's this fear of ego annihilation. Yes. Which is, if I take influence from you, I might disappear. Yes, right. And if and and so I say no to those things, not because I think those go against my values. I say no to those things because I'm afraid I might lose myself in saying yes. Right. Couples therapy can be very helpful in trying to tease out what is behind the saying no. Sure. Is it are they saying no because it really does reflect their values or are they saying no out of a rebellious out of a rebelliousness? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. But the but the I think the problem that people run into is that those those people are hard pressed to get into couples therapy. Right. Often. Yes. Right? So that's right. I mean, the women that I've that I work with are like, mm. I have been begging him to go to therapy for years and years and years and years. And he won't do it. And now I'm done. Right. And now he wants to go. And so, right. And this is the and they're like, but I'm done now. Like I don't have anything left. I got nothing you, left in me. They're exasperated. They're exasperated. The the issue though, that I see it as well, what's most important to the in your case, to the to the wives. Yeah. Is to me, I would help them, I would coach them to get off of the assumption that therapy is the catalyst for the change Mm. and instead focus on the change they want to see. In other words, I don't care how you uh, do X, Y, and Z. It's just that I expect X, Y, and Z to be done. Therapy is one way for you to do it, and and you may choose that path. But what's important for me is uh, that I that you meet this need, right? So I think about yeah. Often, if you ask uh, uh, couples where where addictions uh, uh, occurring, Mm. uh, and you say to the 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 sober spouse, if your if your addicted spouse, for the lack of a better term, if your addicted spouse uh still came home took their response you took care of their obligations were kind were loving were all of those things would the drinking still be a problem the most common answer is no 
So it isn't that they, they tend to want to focus on the drinking, right. but really what is the problem right. is the neglect, the the obliviousness, the, the abuse maybe, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. That's what the problem is. So, you know, my view is therapy isn't for everybody. Right. There are many ways to achieve per- personal, professional development, spiritual development, et cetera. Therapy is just one way that can get you there. Mm-hmm. But what's most important is the effect, whatever change the person's looking for. Yeah. And there, and the community being able to communicate what, th- what that is, right? Because if you're saying yes. you need to stop drinking, you need to stop drinking, you need to stop drinking. What you're not saying is I feel abandoned. I feel alone. That's right. I feel Huge. like I don't have a partner. That's right. That's right. right. And so in discernment counseling, in the individual, I could say, the cost of your continuing to drink is A, B, C. Right. Right. If you're going to continue to drink, which you're, you're a grown ass man. If you want to drink, you can drink, but this is the tax that you might have to pay because of it. I can have that kind of conversation, that kind of directness one on one, that if I were to say those same things with the spouse present, mm-hmm. it would be too, it would, it would trigger too many defenses. Right. Yes. Cause they'll hear it from you. Right. I mean, they've been right. hearing it from their spouse for so long, then it feels like an alignment. Yes. That's right. That's right. That's right. And in Gottman language, they call it negative sentiment override, mm. where the, the couple has this negative sentiment shared between them. Yeah. Where the partner giving that kind of feedback, they can't hear it because of the negative sentiment. But if I say the exact same thing, I don't have that history with that that right. person so they can hear it from me yeah i've had i've had couples break out in a fight in my office because i give direct feedback to another partner and the partner says yeah that makes a lot of sense and the other spouse is saying i've been telling you that for 10 years how is it that tom tells you in like three minutes and you finally get it yep because that's how it works sometimes <laughs> yep, precisely precisely one of the questions i get asked a lot in my Facebook group, my programs, on Instagram, is what do I do with my engagement ring, my wedding ring? I've got all of these beautiful diamonds. I don't know what to do with them. Well, today's sponsor, Worthy, can help you get the most money possible for your jewelry, fast and risk-free. When you partner with Worthy, they do all the work for you, and their competitive auctions get you up to three times what a local jeweler would offer in as little as two weeks. The best part about Worthy is that you are in charge of what happens to your jewelry. You set the reserve price, you approve the winning bid, and then you get paid. And if your item doesn't sell for the price that you want, Worthy sends it back to you at no cost, fully insured. And now you can visit worthy.com slash DSG and get an extra $100 when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. That's worthy.com slash DSG. Worthy, a better way to cash in on that hidden asset in your jewelry box. Worthy.com slash DSG. Once they've gone through the discernment process and they move into couples, is that couples therapy in some way, I don't know how, is it different? Is it enhanced? Is it, do you, do you find the couples who have gone through the discernment process first are starting couples and sort of at a different place, at a different level? So once a couple chooses couples therapy, there's an, there's a form that they complete 
that essentially is, these are the five things I'm committing to doing differently. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. And so I will give that to them. And I will say, I want you to write down your five goals. And let's, let's talk about them. Because, you know, they'll say things like, I'll be less critical. Mm, What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, let's be more specific. (laughs) I, uh, I'll say, well, first of all, that's what we call a dead man's goal. <laughs> because a dead person will always be better at being less critical. <laughs> I love it. Than, right. than you. So instead of being less critical, you will be more what? Mm-hmm. As evidenced by. So I'll be more kind. Okay. As evidenced by what? How will how will you do that? If I were a little fly on the wall, what would I see you doing that will demonstrate more kindness? Right. Yes. So it's important. For, it's important part of this accountability metrics to get them to think. Okay, I need to. I need to be very clear. I need to have a vision of of. What I'll be doing, and as we talked about a moment ago, what are the values that those behaviors are tapping into? Mm, In other words, we have to, we can either be pushed by fear or pulled by vision. So, what is the vision or values that are pulling us, and the behaviors are a reflection thereof? I love that. I love the specificity of it. It reminds me a little bit, although I'm not. And well, I have issues with it, but it does remind me a little bit of imago and behavior change requests. Even, but even that is coming from the other, right? And so I like that in what you're talking about, it's actually self-generated. It's saying, okay, these are the things that I've identified as my issues, and and here's here is specifically how I'm going to make these changes, right? And they are specific behavior behavioral changes. It sounds like, as opposed to in the imago world where it's a request. That's right. And part of those changes can, uh, the change agenda, we call it the change agenda. Part of the change agenda can be informed by the feedback that the person received as a result of the discernment work. Yes. Right. So remember, uh-huh. after every in, every one-on-one moment, there's a coming together where the person who was in discernment in the session in that moment gets to share any insights that they had. Mm-hmm. And so the person receiving that information uh, doesn't have to respond. Again, it's not therapy. They're taking it in. They can respond. Um, but once you know something, you cannot unknow it. Yeah. Right. Right. And so that information is added to that person's arsenal and then they can apply it using their uh, within their chain agenda. So fascinating. I hear all the time from people who have, you know, are in couples therapy or they tell me things about their couples therapy. And I'm like, oh, God, like, so how do you know that? Because this this sounds amazing. And I wish every couples therapist and discernment therapist like had this level of like specificity, um, process, organization. How do you find someone in, you know, you're in, you're in, you're in North Carolina for everybody, (laughs) for everybody listening. Dr. Tom is in North Carolina, but you know, someone in Florida, someone in Montana, how do we, how do we find more practitioners that are working in this way? Cause I feel like it's not the most common. 
So if they just Google uh, discernmentcounseling.org mm. uh, or discernment counseling, um, Bill Dougherty is the developer of this method. And uh, he, he, by the way, developed this method in collaboration with divorce attorneys. Mm. Uh, because a lot of what, what attorneys have been noticing is that they would get couples who wanted to go, you know, go through divorce, but they detected that these couples were ambivalent. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they just so didn't they know what else want- to do. They didn't know what else to do. And so, so in, in conjunct- conjunction with Dr. Doggerty, they, um, developed this method of, of helping couples so that if, if the, uh, therapist and the couple decide, you know what, path two is the path. Well, now they're going to these attorneys and, and it's clear. It's clear, right? It, you know, they've Absolutely. gotten decided and, and, and it's, uh, going to flow from there. There's a list of all the various discernment counselors that have gone through the training available. And so people uh, can uh, look uh, based on their state. Um, if they want uh, someone in person, of course, now uh, uh, mm-hmm. one of the upsides of the pandemic is that a lot of, of people have, have moved towards uh, virtual. And so there are methods of doing the process virtually. So it really is less relevant where yeah. the providers are located. Yeah. You can just put someone in a zoom breakout room and, and that's exactly yeah. Right. And that's, I think that's one of the, one of the great things about the pandemic is that even if someone is, you know, in North Carolina, it doesn't mean they can access you, right. If you're working as a, as a therapist, it's, you have to be state specific, but you know, there are people in rural areas who there's like one therapist in their town and, you know, everybody's seeing them and that's a, you know, becomes problematic. Right. And so I think the pandemic has given people opportunity to find a lot more options. A lot more options. Yeah. Like I, I'm the only, I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina, and I'm the only certified sex therapist in a, in a city of 300,000 people. Yeah. But uh, now People can access care, you know, th- throughout the state. They don't have to be in the city. So it's really quite remarkable. So great. Yeah. Um, how do you, just out of curiosity, how, how do you work as a sex therapist? Um, with couples or, or individuals, both? Oh, yeah, absolutely both. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times, uh, particularly let's talk about, um, penis owners. If they come in <laughs> and, uh, uh, they usually have a, a sexual issue, uh, I, go through an assessment process to determine is it organic or is it psychological okay and once i decide once i decide to discern that it's um psychological uh then i'll look at kind of the relationship patterns and if i think it's relevant i'll absolutely want to bring the partner in because things like erectile dysfunction mm-hmm. or 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 with vulva owners if they experience dyspareunia or vaginismus or any kind of painful penetration, often there's a relational element to it. Mm. So it's so important to bring in uh, both partners. Yeah. Um, and do you work with sex addiction? What are your thoughts on? We, we certainly work with, uh, you know, sex addiction, I'll just say for the listeners. Yeah. That is a very controversial term. That's why I said, yes, that's, that's what I was going to say. What is your, what is your, what is your stance? So what are your thoughts on sex addiction, Dr. Tom? We've, we find that the most common, the, the person most common uh, giving out the label the most of sex addiction are spouses. Uh-huh. So what they, what, what happens is that someone wants sex more than the other. Oh, 
Uh-huh. And the person who wants sex more than the other is told you have a sex addiction. Oh. Or if the person watches pornography mm-hmm. and the, the, the partner dis, disapproves of the watching of the pornography, mm-hmm. it's a, they give out the label, you must have a porn addiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if someone watches six hours of football on a Sunday, we don't say that they have a football addiction. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, right. We, we, yeah. We, but we, so in essence, we acknowledge as sex therapists that people can have problematic relationships with porn. Yeah. Or have compulsive sex, uh, where, uh, they are putting themselves in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, but we tend to be very sex positive as a, as a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I had a client the other day. She loves having sex. You know, she's had multiple sex partners, but she used an interesting word, promiscuous. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Right, which really harkens to this uh, this view of women. Slut-shaming, right? Slut-shaming, yes, exactly. And that, you know, we should legislate women's bodies and and that there's this kind of, this this uh, magical number that if you exceed it, somehow you're, you're naughty, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Uh, and so part of my job as a therapist is to kind of, invite people to question some of their own cultural domestication around sex and sexuality. Yeah. Interesting. It's funny because in my work, uh, the person who's giving the label is often the partner who has been caught cheating. (laughs) That they label themselves that? Yes. I'm a sex addict. I'm a sex addict. I can't help it. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. In fact, uh, 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 I was reading among my colleagues the other day that the um, uh, International Classification of, of Disease, I think is ICD, it's what it stands for, uh, they're, they're considering coming out with a diagnosis of sex addiction, which, mm-hmm. you know, does not exist does, right now. Right. I know that. Right. And And one of the things that they're wanting to do is have a time of like six or more months because they're seeing that these celebrities or these men who want to get out of jail free card are being honest, oh I have a I I can't help it. I have an right. addiction. Right, exactly. And they and they go to the meadows and they, you know, That's they right. do all of that. Which I mean, listen, I've been to the meadows. I think it's an absolutely amazing place. It is. Um it is. But, but yeah. if someone washes their hands a hundred times a day, we would never call that a hand washing addiction. We might say they have OCD though. That's right. <laughs> so we would say that they have a compulsive behavior. Right. 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 Uh, but compulsion, and we can, is a, a different conversation than what we're having. But for most people, they engage in a compulsion in part because they're looking for a sense of aliveness. Mm, right. That comes from feeding the compulsion. Mm. Right. So, yes, you know, as a sex and, and, and couples therapist, I'm really looking at how do I understand the behavior within the context? Yes. That the behavior is occurring rather than, uh, uh, as I like to say, you know, in the 21 years that I've been a therapist, I have never met anybody with a broken brain. I've only met people with broken hearts. Yeah. And if I can understand more about your life, your life situation, then tip, then often your behavior will make sense to me. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I know someone who sort of was classified as a sex addict, went to the meadows, right? And it was the classification was actually really, it was all trauma. Yes. It was all childhood often. trauma. And it's, and it wasn't about sex, even though it was manifesting in that way, it was about connection. 
Mm. And mm. the aliveness felt from from the newness of connection, you know, but it was manifesting as sex and the and the sex was sort of being labeled as the problem, but that wasn't the problem. That's right. It is a it's an attempted solution. For a lot of people, for example, who engage in cult and compulsive sexual behavior, there's something about the anonymity of it. Mm. They don't yes, want to right. they're trying yeah. it's an attempt to avoid vulnerability that comes from having to actually have a real relationship with someone. Mm-hmm. Right. At the right. same yes. time, I do not want to pathologize, dare I say, nameless sex. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people, you, you're if you're a grown-ass adult and you're having sex with another grown-ass adult and you're just playing with each other and that's that's uh, consensual and all of that jazz, I'm not going to judge it. Right, right. You know, but it's when it's a, when, when it's a, a getting yourself or others and di- putting yourself or others in danger in ways that aren't, uh, that are exploitative, et cetera, then that's, that's problematic. And, the, and I think consensual, it also, if you're in a relationship and you're having these explorations on the side, again, totally fine. If it's consensual, if your partner right. is okay with it, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So before we go, Dr. Tom, you have a book out, which is on a totally different subject, but I also think that we should talk about it anyway. So tell me, uh, what is the title of your book? I love the title of your book. Thank you. It's uh, Making Nice with Naughty, an Intimacy Guide for the Rule Following perfectionist, practical, organized, and color within the line types. I may have gotten those descriptors uh, out of order, uh, but it's really about people who are over-controlled. Mm. So it's the over-controlled temperament. And so there's two temperaments. Uh, well, uh, there's the over-controlled temperament and the under-controlled temperament. And, and temperaments are just stable ways of being in the world. So extroversion, introversion is also another type of temperament. Mm-hmm. Um, these temperaments aren't good or bad, uh, but with the over-controlled temperament, these people tend to be rule-oriented, mm-hmm. meaning that they have a strong sense of how the world should be, must be, and has to be. Mm-hmm. They tend to be risk-averse, threat-sensitive, rejection-sensitive. Uh, they tend to be planners and organized. Uh, are, they have a lot of values that the, that the world out there really appreciates. Right. But if it's going to be a problem, where it tends to be a problem is in people's intimate and sexual relationships. So, for example, the quintessential OC uh, behavior is to go behind your partner to rearrange the dishwasher because it wasn't done right. <laughs> Did you just feel Whatever. seen? Whatever. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a partner, but I, but I do have a seventeen-year-old who has not figured out how to load the dishwasher correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, and so what we find, what I have found uh, as a sex therapist is a lot of the sexual problems that people experience are often tied to their OC temperament. Mm-hmm. So vulnerability, for example, vulnerability is an, is so is huge in terms of 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 one's sexual uh, uh, experience, and if they're unable to be vulnerable, then that's going to be a problem. For example, people who have trouble orgasming. Mm. Orgasms are, are by definition, a total loss of control. Right. And if it, you're, if you're challenged in that area and it's difficult for you to be flexible and to lose control, you're going to, you're going to have trouble orgasming. 
And sometimes it's the other opposite. So uh, men who have rapid ejaculation, they may have a, a high degree of sexual perfectionism, right? And there are four types of sexual perfectionism. I have to be sexually perfect. My partner has to be sexually perfect. I think my partner thinks I have to be sexually perfect. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and society expects me to be sexually perfect. Mm. So if someone is already kind of tense. Oh, my God. Uh, and just stressed out. Yeah. They can ejaculate rather rapidly. Uh, and so you anyway, the point is, is that the book provides a self-test in there uh, uh, to see to what degree someone might be over-controlled which is another way of saying too much self-control, mm-hmm. not over-controlling. Right. You know, over-controlling is bad, but uh, self-control. And tying that to why they may have trouble in intimate relationships and in sexual relationships because of the psychological rigidity that they uh, experience. Mm. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. So where can people find you and your book and your work and all the things? So my uh, uh, professional website is drtommurray.com. My clinical website is a path to wellness.com. And they can find me on TikTok at uh, uh, the real Dr. Tom Murray and on Instagram at Dr. Tom Murray, where I post uh, uh, most of the content is around the OC temperament and how it manifests in people's sexual and intimate relationships. I love it. So good. Dr. Tom, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation. It was really enlightening. And I think uh, people are going to really get a lot out of it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kate. It was such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.